Welcome to Shelf Logic, the official podcast of the Maricopa County Library District. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Tim and this is Caroline. Hello everyone. We're here to talk about some science fiction that's less well known. Certainly all of these shows have their fans and in some cases ran multiple seasons. None have the cultural cachet of things like Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who. With that said, the shows we're speaking about are Briscoe County Jr., Timeless, and Babylon 5. So let's jump straight in. Okay, Tim. Uh, the first one we're talking about is The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. And um, this is a show that I've watched mo multiple times, and I asked uh, Tim to watch it and tell me what he thought of it. And the episode that I asked him to watch was the, well, it's the first episode, it's actually the plot or the pilot, rather, and just kind of sets up the plot for uh, the rest of the season. Um, this is an unusual show because it's a Western, but it has a lot of sci-fi elements. So the series can be categorized as Weird West, which is a subgenre of steampunk. Um, and it, it has a very whimsical sense of humor to it, and that's something that we're probably going to be talking about a lot, because um, it's one of the most attractive parts of the show. It also runs kind of like a um, matinee serial, where the story will be going along, and then there'll be a cliffhanger, and then you'll go to the commercial, and then it'll come back and resolve the cliffhanger. And that makes it a lot of fun to watch. Uh, the show had a lot of critical success and a small but dedicated fan base. But even with that said, it only lasted for one season, unfortunately. Um, the main character, Briscoe County Jr., is played by Bruce Campbell. And you may know him from his B-movie roles, his friendship with Sam Raimi, and his book, If Chins Could Kill, Confessions of a B-Movie Actor. Um, he has appeared in many of director-producer Sam Raimi's movies and television pro um, productions, and he's actually a childhood friend of Sam Raimi. Um, Bruce is quoted as saying that um, Briscoe is his favorite role. And um, with all of that said, Tim, what did you think about it? I really enjoyed Briscoe County Jr. I, I'm a big fan of Westerns in general. And I know before, as we were discussing this podcast, uh, you were a little worried if Briscoe County Jr. really met the sci-fi qualifications, and I, I think it really does. Within like the first five minutes, you have people gaining like lightning superpowers and breaking out of chains, and um, it is still very much a Western. It's definitely a show that benefits from that framework, but within that framework, it sort of carves its own niche. It's whimsical, as you said. It's very cartoony in a lot of places where, uh, in particular, the opening train escape that they stop a train by painting a backdrop on a giant boulder that they set in front of on the tracks. Mm -hmm. That entire time while they're painting the rock, there's this talk about the concept of classical painting versus at that time, modern Impressionist painting. 
and how much one of the cowboys prefers being a classicalist as they're painting a rock to stop a train. <laughs> okay, and, and so we have to talk about that, that cowboy, that specific character, because he's a standout. He's a standout through the whole show, and his name is Pete Hutter. Uh, Pete, is, Pete is interesting because he is both incredibly intellectual and a ridiculously over-the-top, almost cartoony villain in many places. He becomes obsessed with, or not obsessed, but incredibly angered by somebody touching his gun. Mm -hmm. uh, they touch Pete's piece. Right. He is obnoxious in many ways, mm -hmm. but kind of almost adorably so. Yes. Where he's trying to like sing, she's coming around the mountain at one point, and he does it in this over-the-top fashion, and all the other cowboys in the gang look at him. And he's not a main character by any stretch of the imagination. He really only appears in a handful of scenes mm -hmm. in the entire pilot. He's incredibly standout. But mm -hmm. that's that's the same as a lot of characters in this show, uh, just from the pilot. Like Socrates, who's a main character, but he's off to the side, and every scene he's in contains like a really good line. About Lord Bowler. Lord Bowler is an. He acts as a foil, another bounty hunter, uh, along the same lines as Briscoe, who is constantly foiled by both the gang and Briscoe. That's not not taking anything away, because on his own, when he's apart from the the bad guys and Briscoe, all of his plans work. So when he's not around anyone who's a semi-main character or a main character, Lord Bowler is entirely competent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he uses a horse that thinks it's a person to track Briscoe across the state. <laughs> well, you have to talk about the horse. The horse is Briscoe's. Yes. And um, his name is Comet. Yes. And he has even um, some scenes where he's a standout actor. Yes. Uh, the horse believes himself to be a person and tries to enter buildings and rooms with Briscoe. He inadvertently betrays Briscoe. He tries not to at one point, mm -hmm. but then he's offered an apple by the villain. Has to be a green apple. Has to be a green apple. And once a green apple's been offered, he then betrays Briscoe by pointing him out. And so, yeah, we, we've sort of like climbed around all of the uh, characters around Briscoe, but Briscoe himself is also pretty great. Bruce Campbell is a... A pretty sensational he's very charismatic yeah he's he's a guy who has both the intensity to be a good actor but also the sort of like acting chops to pull off being a comedic actor mm -hmm. and I think those are two drastically different things that require different skill sets and he has both and he sort of shifts around a lot in this uh, series, and he can carry pretty much any scene he's in. Uh, it's just lucky that almost everyone around him is up to the task also and doesn't require him having to carry it. Yes, definitely. A lot of strong characters here. And um, the one character we haven't talked about is Dixie Cousins. Yeah. So as 
Caroline mentioned to me uh, before the podcast, Dixie was not meant to be an ongoing character. She was meant for just this one episode. And it doesn't feel like that at all. It feels like she was meant to be an ongoing character from the beginning. There's a lot of chemistry between Briscoe and Dixie. Yes. And I, I really enjoyed Dixie Cousins. I think she's very... Uh, she she feels like a modern anachronism back in an old west setting because she's a very like modern. Uh, Her voice is interesting because the actress is is like she's trying to channel um, Mae West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She definitely feels like she's more of an empowered uh, woman than you would expect to find in a typical western. Uh, and not in like a a tough sort of way, but in a very like she clearly is in command of many different facets of her life and is playing a lot of people like right. fiddles. I, I think she's a great character, and I also really like John Aston, mm-hmm. yes, uh, who was the original Gomez Adams and was uh, the Riddler from Batman 1966. Yeah, and he brings a lot of the um, steampunk elements into the show at, because the character he's playing is an inventor. Yeah. And Briscoe is looking for the new big thing, the new great thing. It The, the time that uh, Briscoe County Jr. is set in is the 1890s, and he's... Briscoe's looking for the new invent- invention. The coming thing. The coming thing, yes. Oh, and as a side note, uh, John Aston was the second Riddler from Batman, not the first. I uh, misspoke earlier. No, okay. <laughs> I, I have to, I have to, because I love Frank Gorshin also. Oh, uh, Frank Gorshin's awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, we'll have uh, to talk about Batman sometime. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, Briscoe's looking for the ne- the the coming thing, right. and he's sort of wandering and lost in life. And the plot is that his father, the original Briscoe County, dies in the opening, having captured thirteen of the m- most dastardly villains of the West. And the train ru- uh, escape that we mentioned in the beginning—that's those thirteen criminals escaping and killing Briscoe County. And then Briscoe County Jr. sort of takes up the mantle to go hunt all of them down. That's a pretty classic style Western setup, and that's played almost completely straight. But around it, you have these sci-fi elements, these weird West elements that are crashing around, and the actors, the characters, all take it in stride. Like, by the end of the first episode spoilers obviously Mm -hmm. but by the end of the pilot you've had an orb that grants people superpowers and briscoe riding a rocket to lasso a train yes then a fight where he's fighting a banker who's been superpowered who then dissolves to dust Mm -hmm. i i feel like it's a pretty solid and surprisingly strong sci-fi just under this western coat of paint and it's a very good western coat of paint Mm -hmm. but it's very clearly meant to also be there's some weird stuff happening (laughs) (laughs) and just don't take anything too seriously and enjoy the ride yes yes 
Okay, so let's move on and talk about our next television show. And this is a newer television show that unfortunately didn't get too much of a chance. And it is called Timeless. And again, I had Tim watch the pilot episode. And to just give a little background, this is a show that only aired for two seasons and had a wrap-up special. And the reason why it was allowed to be on was because it had a strong fan base and a lot of letter writing. It was going to be canceled at the end of the first season. People wrote in, so we got another season. And then um, they decided to cancel it again. And they needed to have a wrap-up special so that you... There were so many things that um, were left undone. And the first episode sets everything up for the entire series. I mean, not even just the season. I mean, just the whole series. We meet all the main characters, discover the main plot line. Garcia Flynn has stolen the mothership, and this is mothership of a time-traveling ship, and has traveled back in time to an unravel American history. We have a uh, war vet named Wyatt, and he has never gotten over the loss of his wife. And we have Lucy, who's a professor, and um, she's the one who understands the different history. She's a history professor. And we also have uh, another character that is the one that pilots the time-traveling ship. The episode uh, establishes that the time-traveling trio cannot completely preserve the timeline, which I think is very interesting because Flynn will mess something up. They will fix it the best that they can, but it's usually different. And sometimes that has outcomes. Um, one of the, the worst outcomes, again, this is a spoiler thing, is by the end of the episode, we find out that Lucy's um, younger sister has disappeared. She did not exist. So with uh, that introduction, uh, Tim, please tell me what you thought of Timeless. I enjoyed it. Uh, I will say that I probably enjoyed Briscoe the most of all three shows that Mm -hmm. we're going to discuss, but this is definitely uh, one that I I liked. Um, It's a much brisker, easier watch than Briscoe because Briscoe is very... There's a lot of gags per minute yeah. in Briscoe. Uh, this one isn't a comedy by any stretch of no, the imagination, it's not. Uh, but it does have some good mm-hmm. jokes and lines in it, uh, especially in relation to Rufus, I believe. Rufus yeah, Rufus is, is the, the pilot. I yes. couldn't remember his name before. Yes. He definitely has some great lines in the pilot episode. I did want to bring one thing up. That is, this show was created by um, Eric Kripke, and he is the one who also uh, created um, Supernatural and um, has a show that's on a streaming service, I believe, right now called The Boys. And they these shows have a lot of, um, with Supernatural and with Timeless, a family feel to it. And I think that that's something that Timeless has. With all the characters, they kind of grow to really counting on each other and it kind of becomes kind of like a, a family group. Yeah, it um, you can sort of see the dynamic in the pilot already formed by the end of the episode. It's interesting how 
they go about time travel because the key thing for almost all time travel media is you have to set the past exactly right. And Timeless, within the very first episode, eschews that, uh, that motto and goes, no, that'd be impossible. Yeah. Once you've gone back in time, you've already altered time. And they play around with this concept of alter time mm -hmm. uh, just throughout the episode in general and how much you can alter time and how much time tries to readjust itself it right. seems like and because I only watched the episode so far that Caroline recommended uh, this is definitely a series that I want to go back to and watch the rest of because it leaves a lot of threads at the end of the pilot right you can clearly see where they want to go, mm -hmm. but the problems they might have getting there. Right. And it's it's definitely a very sci-fi concept and series in execution. What you're what we're both talking about when it comes to um, changing time, there's one episode that stands out for me, and that is the episode of the Alamo. And that's because in that episode, the bad guy here is Garcia Flynn. And the reason why he's going around and um, trying to mess up time, and it's all American history he's trying to mess up. It's not anything else, just American history, is because his family was killed by a um, group of people called Rittenhouse. And um, he, when he, in the, the Alamo episode, he shoots Travis before he can write the letter that will ins inspire everyone to remember the Alamo. So that letter has to be written, and so Lucy ends up being the one to write it. So they fix what happened, but it's not exactly right. Yeah, it's sort of like putting a patch over a piece of cloth that's tearing. Right. Uh, the cloth is holding together, but it's never the same exact mm -hmm. coat or shirt right. again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very, very important to remember about this show is that they largely, they succeed, but they don't really succeed. Right. And, then, and the one that you watched was the Hindenburg. Yes. And they do, the Hindenburg does crash, but it crashes the next day. Right. And different people have survived because of that. It have survived or died because of it. Yes. And so history is sort of saved still. And the whole, uh, oh, the humanity quote still mm -hmm. sort of happens. But because of when it crashed, things are now drastically different. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a very important thing to remember about Timeless is that its serialization property is built on the idea of how are things going to be affected by the modern in the modern right. day, mm -hmm. and you so you want to stick around for the end of the episode. Yeah, and another thing that the characters have uh, a conflict with is I have a time machine. I could go back in time and I can save my wife. I can bring my sister back. I can, but you're not supposed to do that. That's that's one of the central conflicts of the show because I mean the main villain is that's his driving right. motivation. Right, and at the same time, the good guys could be they could fall into that same trap. 
Yes, and that's that's pretty clearly laid out in the pilot also with Wyatt wanting to save a woman because she looks like his uh, dead wife. Right. There are some things you can change and some things that seem almost immutable and will happen. And where the line is drawn isn't made clear. And that's one of the the fun things about the show is that how much actually changes and how much doesn't based off little things. Um, I Like I said, I enjoyed this, this episode very much. I definitely want to watch the rest of the series. And I believe there are only 16 episodes right. per both seasons. Yeah, yeah. They, I don't think either season was allowed to have a full yeah. season of like 22 shows. Yeah, I, yeah. I think there's only like... A total of twenty something episodes. I'm I'm forgetting the exact number. Yeah, and and this is a, a broadcast television production, so that's why a, a lot. Of, unfortunately, a lot of times when you have the um, science fiction genre, unless there's really good ratings, the show's not going to take off. And um, you you see that uh, uh, with the Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. with Timeless. And the next one we're going to talk about, Babylon 5, was not on regular broadcast television, and it got five seasons. And so when you have a show that's a science fiction um, genre show, most of the time they do better in syndication than they do on a normal broadcast channel. Yes, and Timeless definitely definitely feels like it... It's a show that after the first couple seasons, if it moved off of one of the major networks and onto somewhere else, it would have found a longer home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that just didn't seem to happen. No. Uh, so. Let's yeah. go ahead and start talking about Babylon 5. Yeah. All right. And um, with this one, I did not have um, Tim watch the pilot because the pilot has a lot of the um, same plot lines, but has different characters, uh, different makeup. It, it was it was different from the rest of the episodes. And I had um, Tim watch an episode, episode five, The Parliament of Dreams. And uh, because I thought that it was a good introduction into the aliens in the um, storyline, the alien main characters. And uh, b- before we talk about that episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of the production of Babylon 5, because there's a lot of history to it. Um, it was created by Joe Straczynski. Sorry, I have a hard time saying his name. Um, and it is the first television show to have all of the season plotted out ahead of time in a serialized format. Straczynski um, was also the first writer to write an entire 22-episode season, writing all of seasons three, four, and all but one episode of season five. And it, it's interesting, the one episode of season five he didn't write was actually Neil Gaiman wrote it. Commander uh, Sinclair, who is in uh, the episode that Tim watched, is played by Michael O'Hare, and he was replaced with Captain Sheridan, who was played by Tron. I mean, he was played by Bruce Broxleitner um, at the beginning of the second season due to, unfortunately, the actor Michael O'Hare's mental health condition. Babylon 5 has a curse on it. 
if you believe in curses. Six actors who played main characters on the show have died young. Richard Briggs, who played Dr. Franklin, Michael O'Hare, Commander Sinclair, Andreas Katsoulis, who is Jakar, Jerry Doyle, who is Garibaldi, Jeff Conaway, uh, which Tim would not have known was on because he doesn't start until the second season, uh, Security Chief Allen, and Stephen First, who plays the really... This is, he's a really great actor. He plays Vera Cotto. I cho- again, I chose this episode because it showed the main, some of the main ideas of the show and um, really highlighted the, the main characters that are the alien characters. I'm now going to turn over to Tim to tell me what he thought about it. Yeah. So out of the three, uh, this was probably the one that was lowest down for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's definitely a show that appeals to a lot of what I love in science fiction. I'm a big Star Trek fan, and there's some controversy about Babylon 5 and a particular Star Trek series. Yes, and I wasn't going to bring that into it, but we can. Um, Another uh, show that was uh, made around a star base that's very famous in the um, Star Trek uh, canon. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and, we, and happens to be uh, my favorite, and I think Tim's favorite Star Trek uh, show. Yeah, we can we can sort of let people look that up and uh, come to their own conclusions on mm-hmm. it. But I I'm in particular a fan of Star Trek, and this show does have a lot of those same vibes to it. The graphics, because I'm used to Star Trek's model work, mm-hmm. uh, are a little dated. Yeah. And that's one of those like barriers to entry that may, may turn people off. Yeah, it, it was the beginning of using CGI. Yes. And I did just recently get the new um, and improved Babylon uh, 5 um, where they went through and made it HD, and it's all much clearer. Before, when you watched it, especially when you're watching any kind of um, space battle scenes, everything was really, really blurry, and now it's much clearer. If we can get those in the library, hopefully we can. The restored versions, um, it's a little bit easier to watch. Yeah, and I have to say that I loved pretty much all of the alien characters on the show, (laughs) It was, ironically enough, the human characters that were a bit more where I got caught. Like, the commander, all of his interactions in this episode feel pretty, like, stiff and wooden. But the alien characters are incredibly charismatic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Degar and Lando. uh, I think it's Londo. Londo, yeah. Yeah. they're they're incredibly fun and i remember like some of the quotes just just offhand already and i only watched one episode Mm -hmm. but londo walking around on a table uh completely drunk talking about how stunning he looks wearing purple right and that's in just incredible or jakar's uh opening the show by singing while cooking Mm -hmm. and just 
being like in command of the screen while wearing all of this makeup mm -hmm. and the makeup is awesome on this show it is it's very well like very well done mm -hmm. and i so i enjoyed pretty much every non-human character i i also like uh, i believe it's the security chief garibaldi yeah garibaldi yeah, yeah. and i thought he he had some great scenes with dakar I, so I, I liked a lot of the characters, uh, but the the effects and the um, some of the human characters were sort of off-putting. But at the same time, I can clearly see myself when I was younger uh, sitting down to watch this like I did Star Trek The Next Generation. Right. And just enjoying it. It definitely feels like one of those shows where... I can completely understand people getting into it. Yeah. And it's it's definitely a show that I, given what Caroline has told me about the coming seasons, that I would definitely mm -hmm. want to check those out. Yeah. Um, once Bruce Box Leitner gets on the show, it, it goes up another level. It really does. He's He's such a good actor. And he brings a lot to the show. And um, some of the stiffness of the characters goes away. The Mimbari characters, they become more accessible. And yeah, it, it, and I feel it's so hard to just watch one episode of this show because it is a novel for television. And it's like saying, okay, tell me what you think of this book by reading this one chapter where everybody goes on a journey. All the characters go on a journey of, of self-discovery. Um, and so much happens within that, the five year, um, time span of the show. I mean, um, you, you talk about how much you like Londo and Londo turns out to be when he's the most tragic character, believe it or not, of the whole show. It, it, his, his ending is not uh, spoilers. His ending is not good. Because of it, he is such a wonderful character because he goes through such a change. And even Jakar, uh, spoilers again, by the end of the show, Jakar, it turns out to be a um, ins inspirational religious figure to his people. I mean, there's just, there's so much to it. I would suggest that you go ahead and if you want to just skip over the first season and just go to the second season. And I think that you will be hooked on the show. I think you'll enjoy it. I feel like it's a little unfair to judge Babylon 5 by the, the criteria that we've set up mm -hmm. because we can really only realistically talk about one episode given that we have to talk about three episodes in total. Yeah. And so we can really only talk about the one episode. And that seems pretty unfair because with Timeless and Briscoe, we got to watch the pilot. We got to watch essentially the authorial intent. Mm -hmm. But even, even with that, from what you've told me about Babylon 5, that's just not possible with Babylon 5. Right. So much is different that watching the pilot could give you a sort of like skewed version of what the show would be. Mm -hmm. So even in that sense, Babylon 5 really requires multiple episodes. Right. By what we have to go by, mm -hmm. it's, it's difficult to give it a sort of fair grade. Right. 
because it's clear that there's a lot of a lot of love behind the show and a yes. lot of intelligence in writing and the concept of sci-fi serialization mm-hmm. is very very strong just from what I've seen and that was just in one episode yeah um, so yeah I, I think that's very very much a show that would benefit from multiple episode viewing. multiple viewing yes. yeah so I believe that brings us towards the end yeah of our... unfortunately the end of our um, discussion today yeah um, I'd like to thank um, everyone listening today and I'd like to thank you Tim for partnering in this venture um, there are many other sci-fi television series and DVDs that you rec- you can request from the library besides the ones we have highlighted here today um, we have the classic popular titles the Star Trek um, Doctor Who. We also have the short-lived fan favorite, Firefly, and another fun uh, time travel series, Quantum Leap. Um, If you are into alien conspiracy theories, we have X-Files. I used to totally be into X-Files when it first came out. And a newer show that I really like that um, was on the History Channel called Project Blue Book. I'd like everyone to please remember that we are still doing pop-in and pick-up at our libraries and that we have a new way for you to pick things up where you can schedule your curbside pickups using our new uh, My Libro app. Uh, thank you all for joining us and I hope uh, we both hope that uh, you will uh, join us again for more podcasts. Thank you. Have an excellent day. You too. Thank you for listening to Shelf Logic. Make sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Follow us on social media where we are at MCLDAZ.